are starting a series called Resolutions. And the idea behind Resolutions is that at this time of year, most of us get pumped up. There's something about the turning of the calendar from December 31st to January 1st that makes us feel like we can conquer the world. And if you hit any of the gyms in Louisville this week, and in fact, a lot of the gym regulars take January off or the first half of January because there's so many schmoes that show up. But, but what they recognize is that the, all the schmoes will be gone by February 1st, so it'll be back, back to life as normal. But what we want to do is we want to tap into that because we're a church that believes in life transformation. You, sh- you saw in the video that he had a, a hard time picking up the kettlebell the first time. He couldn't do the deadlifts the first time. He couldn't do the clean and press the first time. But after he had worked and worked and worked, you saw that he could. And I believe it takes that kind of effort and that kind of work to transform a life in some sense. And so we want to be a church that preaches transformation and change, but part of transformation and change requires effort. Now, this series is not going to sound very spiritual. As a church plant, you're going to, I, I hear all kinds of things from all kinds of people and different, different questions and different ideas. And some people want more Bible, some people want less Bible, more spirituality, less spirituality. But I, I believe that when we talk about life transformation in a, in a whole myriad of areas, that we are tackling that which is spiritual. I think the spiritual is attached to the physical and the mental and the social and the relational. And so what we're going to do during this series is we're going to... I've gone through and i found some of the most common uh, resolutions that people make. I'm hoping by the end of this series that this is what you'll look like. I obviously don't mean physically, but this guy has put in some work. Let's, let's talk about some of the more common resolutions. People talk about losing weight. Losing weight is the number one. And then there's subcategories of that that fall into the area of health. So better eating or more exercise. And then later on, you'll see quit smoking and quit drinking. A lot of people during this time of year, for whatever reason, say that I'm going to tackle the life-controlling issues in my life. And whether it's porn use or drugs or alcohol or, or smoking or whatever it is, if it's something that you feel like is destroying you, a lot of times people think January is the time. And I think that's probably because you're like me. I always... On weekends, I eat whatever I want because I know Monday is the day that my diet starts. I don't know if you guys are like me on that, in that way, but January is like that. We, through the holidays, we just blow it and do whatever we want because we know January 1st is coming and we can reconcile. So uh, there's, there's losing weight and, and exercising. There's spending less time, spending less or saving more. So fi- there's financial resolutions that people make. Spend more time with friends and family is a big one. We all recognize that relationships are, are extremely important and we think, you know, January is a good time to start working on that. Uh, getting a new job might be something that you consider. A lot of people, if they hate their job, they think my New Year's resolution is I'm going to start. I'm going to start from scratch in that area. Getting organized or reducing clutter, traveling, learning a new skill, language, or trade. So I'm going to learn to play guitar, or I'm going to learn how to speak Japanese. And then reducing media consumption. I'm going to get off Facebook, or I'm going to stop binge watching Netflix quite as much. These are all resolutions people think about. And the reality is many people get excited about it and the weekend comes. So on Monday, the diet starts. And so we work hard Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, our fervor goes down a little bit. By Thursday, not so much. And then by Saturday, we're back at Steak and Shake, getting milkshakes and cheeseburgers and and just eat, you know, super frou-frou lattes at, at, I'm not going to down Starbucks, but at Starbucks, okay? So (laughs) we, we follow a cycle. And, and my hope is that we can kind of skirt that cycle and actually move forward in some areas. You won't conquer all of these areas, but I'm hoping some of these areas will become really important to you, and you will see positive change this year. Now, am I just talking about self-help and positivity? I want to tell you what I think the job of a pastor is, and I think Scripture teaches us what that job is, and it teaches us at Ephesians. So Paul is writing a young preacher. He's writing him a letter. 
He says, Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers. So it says Christ gave the pastors. So the pastors are a gift from God. I'm just, I'm just saying. <laughs> it says Christ himself gave the pastors. Why? To equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. And the body of Christ is people. If you read elsewhere in Scripture, you'll find out that what it's talking about there is building up a bunch of people who follow Jesus. It says the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. And we've talked many times in here about the words shalom and zoe and different words that Scripture uses and how they describe the fullness of life that believers are supposed to experience, that it goes beyond just spirituality, it goes beyond just contemplation, and it goes into your physical life, it goes into your relational life, your emotional life, and your social life. So here's my question. If we look at this list and we apply these to our lives, so let's just pick one at random, uh, getting organized. Can getting organized help you become a better servant? I mean, if you were better with your time, if, you're, if, if you weren't freaked out about how, what kind of lousy shape your car was in, or if, if your life in general, if your calendar was just kept well, doesn't that in some sense equip you for acts of service? If you're in better health, isn't it, I mean, isn't it crystal clear that if you're in better health, you're more capable of serving than not serving? If you feel lousy all the time, it's hard to give your life to someone else. It's really hard to find. I mean, if you feel better and you have more energy, that's more energy to serve. So all these areas, here's what we're going to tackle. We're going to tackle four areas, and we're going to do it for four months. Four months. But we're going to talk about in January, we're talking about physical health. In February, we're going to talk about your relationships. In March, we're going to talk about education. And then March, April, April, we're going to talk about spirituality. So we're not going to get into really heavy spiritual stuff for another three or four months. But I believe, and I was talking to a friend recently who has lost a ton of weight. Uh, she, I don't know exactly how much, but she has really applied herself and really worked hard. And she talked about the drastic difference that her physical health has made in her spiritual life. She said, because I feel better, I have so much more energy to give and more energy to concentrate, and I'm able to think more clearly. And, and actually, she'll be addressing you in a, in a week or two, just telling you a bit about her story. And so these areas that seem not so spiritual or not so biblical, you're not going to see near as many Bible verses up on the screen over the next few months as might be typical. But I believe that all of this ties together in becoming the servants and the followers of Jesus that God wants you to be. So... Like I said, we're going to talk about physical health. Here's the plan. Over the next few weeks, I'm going to talk about nutrition. I'm going to talk about exercise. I'm going to talk about things like drinking enough water, getting enough sleep. Now, I know that some of that sounds like, well, why do I need to go to church for that? We come together as a, as a community to build one another up, and I believe that this is transformative stuff. I believe it's important for you to be here and learn these things. And then on the last week of the month, I have a, a health expert, Brandon Molay, who has done transformational stuff in my life. He's coming in, and on Saturday, we're going to do a seminar of three or four hours where he's going to address health topics. You'll be able to ask him whatever questions you want, and I'm telling you, he will help you. I'm, I'm just telling you right now, you don't want to miss that day. So it'll be the last Saturday of the month, and then on Sunday, he'll be sharing in here. So that's kind of the plan when it comes to health. If you look at Scripture, Scripture teaches that your body is what it calls the temple of the Holy Spirit. And we think of spirituality a lot of times, and we, we, we exclude the body. And a lot of times what happens when it comes to health is... Actually, let me backtrack a little bit. In, in this church, you're going to hear me talk about sin differently than, than probably the typical church. And if you go back and watch a sermon on our website, it's called Darth Vader and Sin, 
we talk about the word hamartia, which is the Greek word for sin consistently, and how that, that word does not mean doing bad stuff. Instead, we just define it as the tragic flaw of the tragic hero. You'll have to go back and watch it to see what I mean by that. But a lot of times what Christians do and what the church does is we pick on our pet sins. A lot of times homosexuality is the pinnacle of the pet sin that people describe. Sexual sins are always near the top, and a lot of that has to do with Augustine and his teachings years and years and years ago. Or we talk about getting drunk, or we talk about smoking dope, or we talk about this, or we talk, or we talk about violence. And what we don't talk about is overconsumption of sugar. What we don't talk about is laziness of sitting in front of a screen for hundreds of hours and not moving your body at all. Now, I'm not talking, and understand, I'm approaching this from the perspective that I'm not, I'm not defining sin as wickedness. I'm defining sin as basically something that will destroy you. And so it's important that we talk about health. It's important that we bring that to the forefront and say, we need to take care of this gift of a body that God has given us. I found a quote recently from, from one of the most famous Christian teachers around that says, the greatest gift you can give your family and the world is a healthy you. Jesus said, love your neighbor as you love yourself. Loving yourself and taking care of yourself is a part of the big picture of loving others. So if you want to be a good servant to the world, which is what Jesus calls us to be, in my opinion, if you want to be a good servant to the world, part of that means taking care of yourself. And so I encourage you not to miss the few weeks that we have to talk about health. Secondly, we're going to talk about relationships. I think you can't read the New Testament at all without seeing that relationships is the core of life. Relationship, love. We, love is, is the rule. It says, it says, faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love. It says, in the end, all that will remain is faith, hope, and love, and the greatest is love. Love is relational. That word doesn't even make sense if we don't tie it into the idea of relationships. And so God has your relationships at heart. God desires you to be effective relationally. He desires you to be close and intimate and transparent. And if you're going to serve others, it happens in the context of relationship. Almost always, rarely, the service is service totally to a stranger. Most often, if your life is going to be given over to someone, it's going to require a relationship. And so we don't want to ignore the relationship resolutions, the idea that I'm going to be closer to my family. I'm going to be closer to my friends. I'm going to send those emails to, to the people I care about that I've been putting off forever. I'm going to reconcile that hurting, painful relationship that I should have tried to reconcile years and years ago. We want to, we want to take this seriously. I heard people are lonely because they build walls instead of bridges, and I've noticed this about myself. I've been hurt so many times in my life that it's easy to become jaded and calloused. And I think the older you get, probably the easier that gets because basically people are jerks and we all are. Basically, people hurt people. And so if we live in this world where we're supposed to be tied in with other people, and yet people hurt people all the time, the easiest thing to do is just to clam up and shell up and create walls and keep people way out here. And I think the cross shows us a God that says, don't keep people out here even when they hurt you. Let them in. And let the pain come, but love and pain oftentimes come together. And so we're, we'll talk about a lot of this as we go on. I want to talk about education, and it, it can be as simple as learning a trade, a skill, a language, learning to play the guitar. But a lot of times we become stagnant. Let me, let me see if I can find this. One of the Proverbs says, a discerning heart seeks knowledge, but the mouth of a fool feeds on folly. But this quote says, there is no end to education. The whole of life is a process of learning. One of my greatest fears as a pastor is that I'll be sitting in front of the same people in the same seats with the same mentalities, the same approach to life, the same habits, 
two years from now as I am right now. That, to, to me, that's, that's the thing that motivates me and drives me is that I want to see transformation in people's lives, not just my own, but in you guys. That's, that's what I feel like God has called me to be as a pastor that equips people for acts of service and builds them up in their faith. And a huge part of that is knowledge. For example, let's talk about physical health. If you want to learn how to get your heart in better shape, that requires obviously learning. To learn how requires learning. It's, it's a very simple truth. But all of this, whether it's your physical health, whether it's your relationships, you can be educated on how to have better relationships. You can be educated on how to be more spiritual. You can be educated on how to be more healthy. So a huge part of all this is really the all-encompassing part of it is the education part. It's learning and allowing our minds to be transformed like the book of Romans says. It says that we're renewed by the transforming of our minds, the renewing of our minds. And education does that. For some reason, the phrase, I don't want to learn good, has been in my head this whole week when I've been thinking about this. And a lot of us, we, we walk around kind of as ignoramuses. We're just ignorant and we're content being ignorant because we just, we're comfortable just vegging out and coasting through life. And I just don't believe that's the, the life God has called us to be. I think we're supposed to be learners. And whether it's, whether it's studying a new trade or studying, studying a, a, going back to school or learning a language, I think this stuff is important. Um, one thing we're going to do, I've got a buddy who's getting his Ph.D. in philosophy um, up in Minnesota, and he's going to come in one Sunday, and he's just going to talk about the value of Christians becoming educated. So that'll be towards the end of, of that particular month. His name's Kyle Whitaker. He's a brilliant guy, a good buddy of mine. I've talked about him in here. I'm, I'm actually the best man at his wedding, so I've always wanted the label best man. I always thought I deserved it. And so next week, somebody finally asked me to be that. We're going to talk about your spiritual life. Obviously, what kind of church would we be and what kind of pastor would I be if we didn't talk about that? I hope and pray that Daylight will always be a church where people from all different branches of spirituality can come together and hopefully discover more about Jesus. If that means that they end up in the same path that I'm going down, great. If it doesn't, I still pray this will be a safe place where people can come in and discover what we learn and be educated and do it, do it in a place that's, that's compassionate and empathetic. But we're going to talk about your spiritual life. We're going to talk about how I just, I just think it's, it's craziness to treat ourselves like we're just a random chemical. We're not. There's, there's way more to life than that, and we'll talk about that later. I'm not here to prove that today, and I don't even think you can prove it, actually. But I do think the spiritual life is what, it, it, even the core, the education, the, the health, everything, I believe the reason all those are important is because this life doesn't end. I think it goes on, and I think right now we're setting a foundation for eternity. And we'll talk about that more as we go. Scripture teaches that to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. I've been reading Thomas Merton's autobiography recently, and he talks about people that have no real contemplation in their life. They don't, they don't have a, a, any kind of spiritual cultivation. And that, you know, it, it'd be easy to become hedonistic and just live for pleasure and live for what feels good. And I think, I think Jesus calls us to a higher standard than that. I think he calls us to cultivate our spiritual lives. And so we'll, we'll, we'll grow together in that. C.S. Lewis said this, one of the best quotes I've ever heard. Christianity, if false, is of no importance. And if true, of infinite importance. The only thing it cannot be is moderately important. What a, what a fantastic yet simple statement. 
And a lot of us, we want our spiritual life to be part of the picture. We want our Christianity or our worship of God to be a part of the whole. Whereas I believe the spiritual life is the whole and everything else becomes the parts. We'll talk about that more as we go. I've told you guys many times that I often pray and I ask God to give me visions and dreams. Uh, some of you think that stuff is nuts and I understand that and maybe I am nuts. But, but it just, it's just so wild how often I'm half awake, half asleep and I have thoughts or visions or pictures. And here's, here's the one I had over Christmas that I'm going to share with you again. Take it or leave it. But I keep thinking about barnacles. And the word barnacles and pictures like this keep popping in my head. And I have no idea why. So I'm going to talk to you about barnacles, keel hauling, and careening for just a moment. And these are all movie, or words that you've heard in pirate movies forever, and maybe some of them you're familiar with. And so just by a show of hands, how many of you, if I said keel hauling, you could define that word? I'm just curious. Yeah, I, I figured about 10% of us maybe. Um, let's talk about barnacles first. And so this is what the bottom of a pier or the bottom of a wooden boat looks like over time. And barnacles are these organisms that live, oftentimes live in shells, and then, then there's algae that attaches to that, and other organisms that come and, and, and live in symbiotic relationship with these organisms. And, but, but the short of it is, if you go out to the ocean and you submerge something for long enough, the ocean will overtake it and crust over it and ultimately kind of destroy it. And so barnacles attach to the bottom of ships. And what keel hauling is... I didn't see any super young kids in here. If there, if there are, you might want to cover their ears because this is pretty vicious, actually. Keel hauling is an old pirate punishment, and it wasn't just restricted to pirates. The, you know, more civilized society has done this, too. What, you've, you've heard of walking the plank. Everybody knows what walking the plank is. They put you out on a plank, and they make you jump off, and you probably die in the ocean. Keel hauling was similar, except they would attach a rope to you, and they would run that rope underneath the boat to the other side. And so what would happen is you'd jump, you'd walk the plank, you'd jump off, but then pirates or sailors on the other side would reel you in on this rope. So you jump off that side, they're reeling you in on this side. What do you think happens to that person? They get dragged along the bottom of the boat. And this is what barnacles look like. If you look close up, they're, they're, they're wicked sharp, they're brutal. And some of, the, some of the aftermath of what would happen for people who are keel-hauled is not pretty at all. I, I won't even get into some of the words to describe because there may be young kids here and it would freak them out. Not a pleasant experience at all, and many, many people never survived. They would either drown in the process from screaming in pain, um, but even in, in those days specifically, they didn't have an antiseptic rinse for you when you got pulled up by the pirates, okay? And, and they, basically, you, you would ultimately die of disease from just being shredded by these organisms. But, <laughs> all right, is everybody in a good mood now? <laughs> I'm, I'm sensing some pressure. Let's just all breathe because nobody's getting keel hauled today. <laughs> the other thing about barnacles, and so, so, so barnacles were, were used as a torture device. They're dangerous. But the other thing is that ships that are covered in barnacles, and this, is, this has been proven, it, they're about 40% less effective fuel-wise. And so if you have, if you have a ship that's, that's steam-powered or, or gas-powered or, or however, uh, or, or even wind-powered, it would lose 40% of its power to move forward because of all this debris attached to the bottom of the ship. And, uh, and so, so sailors throughout history have had to come up with ways 
to clean the bottom of boats. So they look like this, and we see, we see a boat like this, and, and our immediate thought is that boat is in trouble, right? I mean, don't, don't we think that, that that's a troubled boat? It's, it's landlocked, it's, it, it can't go anywhere. What we probably don't realize is that this was done purposefully. This is, this is an act called careening. And careening was what they had to do in the old days in order to clean the barnacles off the boats. They had to find a way to tip the boat in shallow water so that they could get to the bottom and scrape the barnacles off so that they could be 40% more efficient. They could be faster in the water, smoother sailing, use less gas. And so what they would do, especially in the Caribbean, Caribbean waters are so shallow that there weren't great spots for boats to careen. So they would have to ride the high tide in and then anchor and wait for the low tide to come in, the high tide to go out, so that the boat would careen, so that they could, so they, I think maybe, yeah, you see on this side, they've got a bunch of people with ropes, and so they know which direction they want to careen in, so they go up, they put it on the shallow water, I'm sorry, shallow, yeah, shallow water, and when the tide goes out, then they would pull with boats to make sure it careened to the correct side. Then they would come in on that side, and in as, as many hours as they could, they would chip away at the barnacles. They would try to eliminate the mess. They would try to eliminate the crud that slows them down. And they might have to do this for days before they could actually get this side cleaned up. Then they'd do it on the other side. They'd have to get ropes and attach it. It's a long, grueling process. There's nothing easy about getting rid of barnacles. I don't think there's, and, and a lot of times we, we take this opinion that to seriously examine ourselves and clean ourselves up, we, we just have no interest in that because it's hard, grueling work, because we don't know the process to go through. It's embarrassing, especially, you know, your undersides are shown for everybody to see. If, if, if we confess, then people know that we're failures. And we, we, try, we try to keep ourselves in the water as much as possible, no matter how crappy the bottom of our boat looks. We try to keep ourselves just out there in the water, moving forward, and a lot of times we don't really seriously examine the junk that is attached to our lives. So I mentioned earlier um, filling your body with sugar constantly. We'll talk about it in weeks to come. Some of you will end up hating me, but sugar is poison. It, it just flat is. It destroys your body. And so I mentioned that, and if you're a person who just feeds on sugar constantly, you're building up barnacles in your life. You're building up something destructive in your life that will slow you down. It will not, you won't have as much energy. It's going to take so much more just to get out of bed of a single day. And somebody needs to say that out loud. Somebody needs to say it to you and you need to be willing to tip that boat over and really look at it and say, and it could be anything relationally. It could be bitterness. You have bitterness towards somebody or, or somebody's that just crusts onto you and holds you back. And somebody needs to stand up and say, that is really slowing you down. Now, I'm not, I'm not talking about whether you're wicked and going to hell. I'm not saying that. I don't even believe that. I don't know you. I, Jesus knows you. That's between you and God. What I am saying is there's stuff in this life that slows you down and makes life harder. And we want to confront those things. We want to look at these areas of our lives. When you look through Scripture, examination of, your, of yourself is just a consistent principle. Each one must examine his own work, Galatians says. A man must examine himself. If we judge ourselves rightly, we would not be judged. Examine me, O Lord, and try me. We need to be able to turn the boat over and look and see what are the areas. And if there's anything that comes out of this whole thing, we've talked about the Greek word metoneia in here quite a bit, which is the word repentance. And repentance is this word that you hear it and you immediately think of a fiery street preacher saying, repent, the kingdom of God is at hand, you're going to burn. It's not what I'm talking about at all. Repentance is the process of looking at the barnacles and scraping them off so that you can be more effective, 
so that you can move forward in the life that God has asked you to live, in the life that God has designed you to live. In, I think it was the 1800s, the British Navy was known as the most dominant Navy on earth. And part of it was because they started doing this. They started adding copper and other, other metals to the bottoms of their boats. And as it turns out, barnacles hate this stuff. Barnacles don't want to stick to this stuff. So the British Navy was 40% faster than all the other boats out there. The British Navy was 40% efficient, used 40% less fuel, and therefore used 40% less finances on the fuel, which they could give into guns and ammo or whatever else they needed. They were absolutely dominant because of one chemical that they added to the bottom of their boats. And my, when we talk about resolutions and we watch the video of Rocky, we think, I can do it. Okay, I can be strong. And that's not what I'm talking about at all. I'm talking about adding something to the mix that makes everything else fall away. And I, I'm hoping over, over time you might see that Jesus is the copper that will hold the barnacles off. He, 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 he wants to come in and coat everything in something that looks completely new and completely different than anything did before. I'm hoping we don't go through this series just by the force of will trying to be great. That's not what I'm talking about because I really think that that's kind of a barnacle. I really think you can just try to be great, try to be great, and, and just end up a really selfish but maybe beautiful, smart, affluent person. I have no idea. But I think trying to muscle up and do it yourself is, in a sense, kind of missing the mark. I think it's more about a surrender to God. I read an article recently that, that stuck in my mind, and he talked about how our lives die. It, it was how the soul dies. And he says, our soul doesn't die. You don't sell your soul in some Faustian bargain. So Faust sold his soul to the devil. You don't sell your soul. You don't, you don't just one day decide, I'm going to give up everything to have everything. But you bleed it out slow, one sterile, plastic, right-angled day at a time. I know for myself, as, as I get older, that it, it would, it's just, it, there's a real temptation to coast. There's a real temptation to coast through life. I remember when I was 18, I thought, man, I can do anything. I'm just going to, and I could jump really high and, and stay up till four in the morning and still, well, skip class. But, <laughs> and nowadays things just move slower, but it would be really easy for that slowness to just overtake me. And I think for any human being, that can be the reality. The, more, the barnacles crust up, you're starting to move slower, you just get used to moving slow. You just get used to 40% less efficiency. And I don't think that's the desire of God at all. So how do, how do we do it? How, how do we, working with God, in partnership with God, with Him as the foundation, how do we do it? And the article talks somewhat about that. It says, it's not the large commitments you've accepted, but the small ones you've shirked. Remember how simple it all is. Music, put on headphones, lose yourself. Writing, dust off your journal. Write down your theories, your could-be futures. Outside, unplug everything. Walk a mile in the dark. And I love this line. Build an unreasonably large bonfire. That just caters to the caveman in me, I think. Poetry. Put the best business book down. Try some Whitman. Conversation. And this is so true. Ring up the best conversationalist you know and take him to lunch. And I think it should have said him or her to lunch. I think he's sexist, but anyway. Light each other's minds on fire. When we look at this list, lose weight, spend less, spend more time with friends and family, it can be kind of overwhelming because you don't save your soul in some kind of reverse Faustian bargain either. 
life doesn't just come to grips because you get in here and hear a fiery sermon and see Rocky deadlift and you think, yeah, I can do it and everything goes home and it's just fine. It's not how it works. My hope is that you'll pick one or two things when we talk about health. You'll target one or two things that you know will get some of the crusty barnacles off of your life. When we talk about relationships, you'll figure out one or two things that will help you build that copper shield that will keep the barnacles off your life. My hope is that as we go through this series, don't feel overwhelmed by it. Just like the author said, go listen to some music, go do some poetry, go talk to the greatest conversationalist you know. These are the little steps. Just like in careening a ship, an examination, you turn the ship over, you look at the barnacles, but you don't just smash all of them at once. You end up having to chip away one at a time, a little bit at a time. So don't feel overwhelmed or discouraged by this series, but pick a few things. And here's my hope. My hope is that next year when I'm standing in front of you guys and saying, Happy New Year! Hey, 2018 has arrived, which is going to happen just like that. I'm hoping you can look back and say, My life is way different than it was this time next, last year. That'll happen through a process. In my opinion, the greatest process is that Jesus just takes control. Jesus takes the wheel, so to speak, and he, he makes it where barnacles don't attach to you like they used to. But secondly, my hope is that you'll be resolute. Resolutions come from the same root as resolute, resolved. You know, it's, it's hard work. The, per, the person that we see on our main screen here, on our, on our splash screen, man, she looks like she's gunning to go. But the reality is if she hasn't run for a while, she needs to stretch out, and that stretching out will not be pleasant. If we're going to have resolutions, they need to come with resolve. They need to come with a sense of being resolute. It says, this is what I'm going to do. So if it comes to, let's say your kids, the relationship thing strikes you. You say, I need to spend more time with my kids. I need to love my kids better. I need to make sure that I sit down and, and actually look them in the eye and connect with them instead of always blowing them off. Maybe that's the one thing that really strikes you as a chief barnacle in your life. Well, you've got to start stretching that out. You've got to start doing it. Be resolved to do it. Push forward through it. Even when it's painful, there's a lot of days that I would rather just go watch TV than spend time on the floor with my kid playing Legos. That's the reality of parenting. But if I'm resolved... If I'm resolute about it, if this is a real resolution in my life, I'm going to have to do some work. So don't expect to get through this series without being challenged not to work. That's not going to happen. But be resolved that the, end, the, the efficient boat that moves 40% faster in the, in the water and burns 40% less energy to accomplish so much more is way worth the careening and breaking down or chemical coating or whatever process it takes for you to get there. I want to encourage you to be resolved.